welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I'm here with Stephanie Majerin, who owns Well Run Results, and Stephanie and I go back several years now, and I thought she would be the perfect guest for our episode about women in the workplace and how women are taking care of themselves and their families through this ongoing pandemic. Stephanie, welcome to Emotion Well. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I have had my own business for, let's see, it'll be four years in May. Um, before that, I worked mostly in higher ed, uh, dabbled in the CPA world prior to that. Um, but yeah, having my own business has been an interesting adventure and made more interesting by this last year. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Well, when you say that you started it four years ago, I had to have, EFR had to have been one of your first clients Absolutely. because I remember I had just come back from maternity leave and at EFR we were we had developed a culture audit to help our uh, clients kind of assess the culture and climate in their organizations as it relates to wellness. And I I just felt like we could do better. I wanted to refine it and I wanted to add a scoring component. And I don't remember how I came across, it was probably through social media that I saw that you were doing your own business. And I remember from our days back at Drake University where we first yep. met that you, were, you could kind of geek out on a spreadsheet. And <laughs> I thought think this is my person. So I reached out to you and you helped us just take our culture audit from a very basic survey to an assessment tool. And so, and that was, I mean, I had just come back from maternity leave, so yep. we had to have been one of your first clients. Yes. So uh, tell us a little bit about well-run results and what are some of the things that you like to do with with your business? What would sure. like your ideal customer be? Yeah, sure. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think EFR was basically my first main client out on my own. Um, when I went out on my own, I was doing it part-time and then working at Simpson College part-time. So I was still kind of in a half and half seeing how this would work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the um, project for EFR, I still think about all the time as being like my favorite project and the one that I'm like, how do I show other places that this is what I do and can do more of it. Um, it was always like, this is great. I want to do this. This is what I'm doing for my own, why I'm out on my own. And I was never really able to replicate that or figure out a way to, to describe it so that other clients would find me. Yeah. Um, and so kind of what happened was, you know, I did that awesome project and I started getting out on my own, going to networking events, because that's what you do when you have your own business right. to you meet people. You have to put yourself out there. And uh, unfortunately, I was really good at selling the fact that I was a CPA and knew how to do taxes. And that was what these small business owners that I was meeting were latching onto. They're like, oh, taxes. Oh, I need so much help with taxes. Or, you know, I'm brand new doing this. I'm super, super scared. Can you help me with this? So so what started as a business to get away from doing taxes, because immediately prior to going on my own, I worked for my dad doing taxes. So mm-hmm. in between Drake and starting on my own, I did a couple years with him and I didn't want to do taxes anymore because I could have kept doing that for him. Right. Um, <laughs> so what kind of happened was, you know, you're out on your own and you think I have to, I have to make this work. I have to make money and have a business that's successful. Right. This is what people are willing to pay me for. So I kept saying yes to tax things uh, that eventually led to me doing like 150 tax returns by myself and having this wake up moment of what am I doing? 
this is this is not where I wanted that to be. That wasn't the vision for my it business. It was never a vision for my yeah. business. Um because you know, I'm good at taxes, but I've no, I don't, I'm not passionate about it. I right. love helping people get out of like the scary situations of, oh my god, I have this IRS notice and those sort of things because I want to help people, but at the end of the day, taxes was not where my passion was. Yeah. Um so I've kind of had, I'd say, almost going on two years now, this slow phase out of letting go of the tax mm-hmm. stuff and trying to figure out where do I go from here. Um, and 2020 has kind of both made that more obvious that I needed to let it go, but also more difficult to take steps just because of everything. <laughs> well, I would imagine people always need help with their taxes. They That's do. something that will never change. Yes. And so like, there is steady income and a steady stream of yep. business with that, but if it's not motivating you, if it's not something you wake up and look forward to, right. to working on, then I would think that, you know, it would lead to burnout over time. Yes. So did you have to kind of break up with some of your yes. clients? Yes. And it was hard because a lot of them I really liked. Some of them were not as hard as others, obviously. Right. Some, you know, when you start saying yes too much, you get a few not good ones in the mix there. Um, but yeah, it was it was hard because, again, people were willing to pay me for it. And I'm like, ah. Oh. How can I turn down, turn this down, especially when I've built a relationship and I like them mm-hmm. and I want to help them? So what really helped was, um, must have been 2019, because 2020 we weren't doing anything. So 2019, I met a gal through FemCity, which I've been a big part of ever since um, going on my own. Um, met her that, and she is a CPA. It works for a small firm because that's that's the other problem is that there's usually really big firms, and a lot of these clients that I was working with just couldn't afford to work with these right. these other firms, and these firms just didn't really care enough to work with them. So I met her, really liked her, hit it off, met her boss, and I was like, these guys seem like they get it, they care about small business owners, they're not gonna be you know, overpricing what they're doing. Um, so I basically said, hey, can we, can I start sending clients to you? Like mm-hmm. I have to release them, I can't be doing this anymore, but I want them to go someplace and feel like I've at least helped them find that transition versus just saying, I'm done with taxes, have fun finding a firm. Right. So yeah. this felt a lot better because at least I didn't feel like I was just leaving them high and dry to probably You were get still helping better. them. Yes. You were helping them get to that next step. Yes, exactly. And in hopefully, a, you know, at least a guided way that maybe they weren't the perfect fit, but at least it was a starting point to go from. Um, so I, that helped a lot in finding that because I think I'd still be stuck not knowing what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so... Let's talk about when you transitioned from working for your dad to your own business. Yep. Kind of what was the tipping point or what was the aha moment where you were thinking, I want to follow or I want to pursue my own business. I want to pursue a, a dream I've had. Have you always wanted to be a business owner? No. Um, you know, and my dad has owned his own business for as long as I can remember, but it was never necessarily like, oh, I want to be like him. It didn't necessarily cross my mind. Um, I think... I don't. I, I wish I knew exactly what the the trigger was, but when I was working at Drake, I was also getting my master's, and I I saw this startup boot camp for women. Oh, we did it. Too. I think, yes, well, we did I, with yeah, Tom yeah. Swartwood. Yes, we might have been in the same session. I think we were. Yeah, and so yeah. and I don't know what made me say, "Hey, I should do this," because I don't. Nece- I didn't necessarily have a like grand idea. It just sounded, I don't know, something like I should do. So I went to that and kind of started playing with ideas of like, what could I do as a business? And so I, again, 
seemed to feel like I wanted to serve small business owners. I don't know why. I, I Maybe it's because of my dad, but I can't really say that that's what triggered it. Um, but so I kind of played with that. I ended up taking his actual like master's course, his graduate level course in entrepreneurship okay. and flushing that out a little bit more. So I had this idea and then my capstone project for my master's program, I kind of just did whatever I wanted, <laughs> not related to, you know, our program. Um, and I studied small business owners and financial literacy. You know, that's the academic way yes. of saying like, how much do they understand financials yes. and how much do they need help and what resources mm-hmm. are available? So that was what I studied. Um, so I loved that whole process. I loved meeting all the different um, people in town that help small business owners. So the Greater Des Moines Partnership and the Iowa Center and all the ones that some of them still exist, some of them don't. Um, so that was super fun. And then I was kind of like toying with what do I do as I graduate? And the position at my dad's opened up and it just, I thought maybe I can still pursue some of this, but through a little bit safer method of he's already established. Yeah, I'll be doing taxes, but maybe there's more I can do beyond that. Well, then I got pregnant. (laughs) Game changer. Right. We all know how that just like, uh, what happened? And so I was so focused on like that and started, you know, working in a new position with my dad that my dream kind of. I, I couldn't pursue it. I just didn't have the energy. So fast forward and my daughter is about a year old. And I've been, I think it was with my dad about two years at that point. And I was just like, what am I doing? I didn't want to go back to taxes. Like I did taxes years ago, at, at, you know, at Deloitte. And I'm like, well, I, I, I don't want to be here. I don't, I can't see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. It, it was always his business he's also a lawyer. So there's a lot of stuff that he does that I would never be able to step into, mm-hmm. even if the plan was for me to take over. And I said, I, this isn't what I want to do. I, I just know. It's just not, not what I want to do. And that's a pretty hard conversation to have with a parent. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, who's kind of without necessarily um, formally saying that, but who's kind of thinking you're going to take over the business. Yeah. That was a little tough. Um, I had some hard, uh, hard things to hear. When we had that conversation, you know, he said, uh, I, he's like, well, this is not totally surprising because looking at the history of, you know, my, of my career, it always takes about two years. And then I'm kind of like, ready, ready for something different. Mm-hmm. So it'd been about that mark. So it was an interesting observation that I hadn't noticed about myself yeah. until then. Um, but yeah, I just, I just knew I had to try to do something yeah. different. So I, it was, that was September and I said, I'm not going to leave you before tax season because, you know, I'm not going to do that to you. So I made it through that tax season. And then that was, after that was when I launched off on my own. Very cool. So speaking of motherhood, I, so we have a lot of things in common. (laughs) We, we met at Drake because we both worked there full time and then I was coordinating the group fitness program and you ended up teaching for me. We both have master's degrees from Drake in... Well, sort when of the I, same program. Yeah, it's the same program. Different it just had names, but it, yes. it went through a, a little facelift. Yep. I think in the years between um, I when I graduated yep. and when you earned your degree. So, so we have all of those. And then I also own my own business, although I don't do anything with it anymore. But we have a lot of parallels. But one of the biggest is that we're both mothers yep. and daughters. Yep. And I still remember. I feel like you were the first person I ever sat down with who is like, transparent. <laughs> about how hard it is. Yes. Because I remember when you came to the office at here at EFR to yep. talk to me about the culture audit, my daughter, I was just back from maternity leave. So right. she was four or five months old at the most. And your daughter was maybe one and a half or yep. so. And I just remember 
you know, you were just very transparent. You're like, it is hard, yep. you know, and I'm exhausted and it's hard and I don't think I want other kids. And I was just like, there's someone else like me, you <laughs> right, know, and right. because women just aren't very truthful or transparent about right. how difficult it is. So in your role as a mother, how did you find balance between, okay, I, you know, I'm parenting this small child. Yep. I'm trying to also launch my own business. In some ways, I can see how that would be like a beautiful, you know, harmony in terms yep. of I'm my own boss. I set my yes. own schedule. But not only is parenthood a lot of work, being your own boss and having your own business is a lot of work. Right. So what did you do to kind of find a good balance or blend between the two yep. roles? Well, when I was still working for my dad and went back to work after having uh, Ellie, I I only uh, went back four days a week. So I, I was like, I'm going to have Fridays with her so that I, you know, I felt like if I'm having a kid, like I want to spend some time with her. Yeah. I'm not going to just like have a kid and then shoot her off to daycare and <laughs> say, see you, see you later, you know? Yeah. So, um, so that was one way for me that I balanced a little bit. And because I worked for my dad. You could I, do that. Yes, so, so was, many women like, can't do that. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, during tax season, obviously there was a little bit more like working from home to kind of right. make up the time. Um, but for the most part, you know, it worked out. Um, and then when I was out on my own, it was kind of the same thing. I was, I had a, just an in-home daycare provider and she would have taken her Fridays if needed, but the other little girl that was there didn't come on Fridays either. And so I just said, I'm going to keep Fridays with my daughter. Mm -hmm. Just have that time to at least feel like, Hey, I'm being a mom. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. And balance that a little bit. Or mo more focused time with yes, your child versus exactly. right, scattered right. time. Yes, I'm not yeah. trying to say that if you don't do that, you're not yeah. a mom. But yes, it was yeah. just for me, I thought I need this time to just feel connected to her. Mm -hmm. And and because I have that flexibility, I'm going to take it uh, versus not having that boundary. So it was yeah. kind of a boundary I set, I guess. Um, and, you know, I also, the daycare provider, you know, I had to pick her up at 4.30. So that was kind of a hard boundary that, like, I couldn't really at least work anywhere else mm -hmm. or be doing a lot once I had her. Um, at first, when I first launched my business, I kind of set, like, after bedtime or nap time, I would maybe get some work done or, like, work on the business. Um, but over the time, that really started to wear on me. Because um, then where was the time for you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And at first, when you start a business, you're, like, super excited and passionate about it, and you have all these possibilities, and it's just exciting. But then as, like, you're not working on the business and you're doing the work, and when the work isn't really what you want to be doing. <laughs> like taxes. Yeah. It got a little uh, a little tough. So, I mean, some of it was trying to set boundaries, I think, was, was initially uh, the goal. But it gets harder and harder when you work for yourself to have those boundaries. Yeah. Because you just think, well, I'm here. I can be on my phone. I can be doing these things. And, oh, I have a client that's texting me. And, you know, all that stuff that you let the boundaries slip as you kind of just try to work harder. Yeah, I, th I think with boundaries, I mean, when you, th when you think about all aspects of your life, having good, healthy boundaries is really important. Yep. And so whether it's, you know, you have good boundaries within an interpersonal relationship or good boundaries between your work life and your home life or, you know, between, you know, your own time for self-care yep. and your family time, it takes, it's, again, a lot of work. Yep. Uh, and for some people, it's easier than others. But, like, for me, it's, like, a lot of work to, you know, okay, these are my boundaries and yep. I'm going to, you know, keep them firm. Right. And, you know, of course, flexibility is important, but that becomes a slippery slope because, okay, just this one time I'm going to work right. after hours or just this one time I'm going to send her on a Friday yep. or, you know, 
And then it just kind of turns into all of the time. Yep. And so I think that's great that you mentioned boundaries because boundaries are important for everyone. But yes. I think women, especially when it comes to, okay, this is my family life. This is my work life. Yep. This is my my life in terms of self-care. And, and how can I establish good boundaries between the two so that I, and there's never balance in my no, opinion. There's right. never balance, but can there be a good blend? And, right. you know, can all areas of my life, you know, be nourished essentially? Right, right. Um, and how did – okay, so now fast forward and we're in a pandemic. Yeah. And you're still a business owner and now you're a mother of a preschool-age child. Yeah, kindergarten. And now she's in year. kindergarten. Yep. So how did that change? Yeah, <laughs> it's been it, it, it's been very difficult, um, you know, because back in March it was basically like, you know, spring break and then all of a sudden, well, they're not coming back. <laughs> oh, so she was in preschool when the pandemic yes, started. Yes, and it was just kind of like after, after spring break, then – she never went back, you know, right. and so. And here we are a year later. <laughs> yes. I can't believe it's been a year. It's crazy. Um, so that, you know, those first weeks and months really home, my husband was home too because he's a dentist. And so like he was not legally he cannot, allowed to work. Yeah. You know, and it's right. not like he can work from home. Right, you know? right. <laughs> he occasionally got call, called in for emergencies that they were allowed to see. But for the most part, like he's not working. So I did have at least like somebody else there because it was, you know, I'm wrapping up tax season at that point. And there's all these new things, the the PPP loan and the grants and the, you know, all this stuff. And I have all the these people clients. are having questions. Yes. Yeah. Everybody's freaking out. And I'm wanting, I'm just like jumping in to help because I'm like, gosh, this is, this is terrible. Because you're a helper. Yes. You are. I am. I am. And so, you know, I at least had him home, but it was a very different dynamic because I work from home. So like home means like when I'm working, I get to do it how I want to. So if I want to take the dog for a walk at one o'clock because I've balanced everything else, like I can do that. All of a sudden, like I have somebody else kind of scrutinizing me for this thing. Well, why aren't you, aren't you supposed to be working right now? And it's Mm -hmm. like, I am, but I need this break. And I, it was really hard to like, not have a different place to be to be working yeah you know and and I mean not to not to downplay dads but it is just different and there just be times where I'm like I am home but I'm working yeah like, oh yeah if I see that snack, with my daughter yeah you can get her a snack yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. why is she bothering me for this you know snack? and I don't know if it's like a mother-daughter dynamic but I, I see it a lot too with yeah. my daughter um you know it's well can mommy do it well, right Yes. I can. Yes. yes. You know, but, but like... sometimes I'm – it's it's so hard because one thing that I've really tried to focus on is giving my daughter a positive impression of work. Yep. So I don't like to say I have to go to work. I right. say I get to go to work today and then she'll say, but why, mommy? And then I try to start with all the cool things I do with, right. with my job. You know, I help people. I'm a helper too. Yes. Another thing we have in common. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I get to help people right. and I get to talk to people and – I just think it's so important because, you know, that preschool age is so impressionable. I don't want her to think that work is dreadful and that work means that you can't, you know, pay attention and care for someone else. But it, I mean, it is, it is hard, you know, and, and you're right. There is, there is something about mom, right. You know, at least in my personal experience too, it's like, you know, I want mommy to do it or mommy's home. So can I sit on her lap? Well, you know, yes. Not all the time. Right. You know. Even if it is a quick question or blah, 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 like I have to have that time to figure it yeah. out. And so those first few months, it's like I had the support, but we're, I mean, we're all just like trying to make it work. And he was, he was upset to be kind of, I think he felt like, you know, they're calling him non-essential basically. Yeah. And no, it's that, like, I mean, it's just a hard, Yeah, it, it was and still is a hard situation for right. everyone. Right. So she's transitioned to kindergarten. Is she in school or is she hybrid? No, so 
what we decided and I, I had some some other friends that were kind of in the same situation and talked through it and I decided to homeschool her. Um, and some of that was we, when we were going to send her to school, like back in last January when we'd made that decision, we were going to send her to um, Rolling Green, which is a year-round school uh-huh. in Urbandale. So you can just elect to do that if you're the, in the Urbandale school district. Well, they were supposed to start July, I don't know, 23rd, 24th. Well, think back to last July. Like, nobody knew what was going on right. for school. Nobody could make any decisions. And Urbandale, like, were, they, they would not push it back, which I thought, you know, if you're not sure what it's going to look like, then maybe just delay it and we figure out, you know, what this year-round school looks like for just this one year. But they wouldn't do that. So they start, they were going to start, but didn't tell us what it was going to look like. And I just was like... Which can be stressful because yes. it, it's it's hard for people who work to plan. Yes, exactly. And I'm like, uh, she's in kindergarten. You know, if she's a little bit older, I would have been like, she's pretty adaptable. She's been to that school before or right. whatever. <clears throat> we'll figure it out. But I just thought, how are kindergartners going to like wear masks all day? And how what would virtual look like? Also, this is her first impression of school. Yes. That That's yes. the other thing that yes. I think about a lot is, you know, for the kids who were going to kindergarten yep. this year is that you know, this is what they think school is, right. you know, and right. And, and I think what it, where my decision came down to was, was a, like I had other moms that were kind of going the same route. So I was like, I think I have some support here that, you know, if I'm going to homeschool or I'm not doing this alone. So that was part of it. Um, and the other part was, I just felt like, okay, at some point it's going to be virtual. And what Rolling Green ended up doing, I think the first two weeks were virtual. And then as we know, there's been bouncing back and forth in all the school districts. But I, I was just like, if if she has to do virtual school, then I my schedule is whatever the school schedule is. Right. And I can't do that. I yeah. can't have my schedule dictated by forcing her to sit in front of a computer yeah. for eight hours a day. Yeah. So it kind of came down to – I need the flexibility to be able to say, okay, we will do school and it'll be about an hour, maybe a little bit more, or we do some, you know, arts and crafts or whatever. And then I can fit in the work that I need to do yeah. when, when I can. Um, but I've had to pull back a ton. I mean, I was already on that slope of kind of uh, getting out of a lot of stuff with clients. And then I just had to say, look, I'm homeschooling my daughter and this is the priority right now. Yeah. Well, there, you know, I was just looking up some information before we sat down and by September of 2020, and now, I mean, that's almost six months ago, but right. by September of 2020, 865,000 women left the workforce. So, right. you know, almost a million women had yes. left the workforce because of there's complications with right. childcare and schooling. Yep. And, you know, that's where I feel like, wow, you know, in a way you're so blessed because you have your own business and you can, you have in a way, you know, the ability to say, no, this isn't going to work for me. This is yep. how I'm going to operate my business. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still a mom and your daughter still needs to go to school. And yep. so, you know, what would it have looked like if you were working, you know, full-time somewhere else? And, you know, uh, there I also read that there are 10 million mothers of young kids in the workforce. And that was in 2019. Of course, the, the statistics are always, you know, a few months, yes. if not a year behind yes. when they report these things. But that's a lot of a lot of mothers. It's a lot of children. Yeah. And, you know, this is just a difficult time for everyone. So you said you mentioned that you had kind of a mom friend group yeah. or a group. Are you kind of leaning on each other? Are you doing yep. some shared homeschooling? Yeah. Yep. So we, um, you know, we kind of went back and forth about what what all we wanted to do, and where we landed was 
we would each kind of be responsible for like the reading and math, the, the basically the main thing in kindergarten mm-hmm. that they're trying to get them mm-hmm. on board with. Like we would each be responsible for doing that however we wanted to, whatever curriculum we picked. And then one to two days a week, we meet as what we call a co-op. And mm-hmm. so we, we switch houses. So, you know, each each Friday, one mom is in charge and the other moms get a couple hours off nice. when the kindergartners get together. Um, and, you know, we, we plan things, but like for me, I basically hop on Pinterest and I'm like, okay, Okay, what's some fun crafts and sort of sciencey things, you know, we yeah. like a snow volcano, you know, baking soda and vinegar. And I mean, there's just different things like that to just keep them yeah. entertained that are sort of, sort of schooly. And it gives them an opportunity to socialize. Exactly. And, and that was really for all of us. We're like, we don't even care if like one week you just have to throw them outside and they you play. Know, yeah. yeah. And are like, do a scavenger. I mean, really, they whatever. just need recess, they, you know, with, with other, other kids. kids. Yeah. That was really, especially since uh, Ellie's an only child, that was my biggest concern was, you know, she's used to just being home with us. Right, right. And she's really good at entertaining herself, which is awesome. But that interaction with other kids with, you know, sharing and not always getting to do things what when you want and yeah. how you want um, has been huge. And so, you know, we basically landed on one day a week. We do kind of the formal, quote unquote, four hours of co-op. And then on uh, Thursdays, one mom and I just swap the kid, like each Very of the kids cool. and they would just let them have playtime because cool. they just need that to just figure out what that's like again. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. And especially my daughter is also an only child. And that was one thing I, you know, thought about when she was out of daycare for a few months in the spring was, you know, she doesn't have an opportunity to play with other kids regularly because she doesn't have a built-in playmate at home. I mean, it's me, right? Right. Um, So I thought, you know, for her social growth and development, it was important for her to get back. So she's, she's doing part-time daycare right now. She's actually started pre-K because she just turned four. So, um, time flies. Right. So if you were, if a woman were to approach you and say, Hey, I'm thinking about starting my own business. What, what advice would you give her? What would you? Um, I think the, the first thing you have to think about is where, what your priorities are. So, you know, are you doing this so that you have flexibility to be able to work around your kids' schedules? Then set those boundaries now and Mm -hmm. say like, I'm only going to work these hours and these are the things I'll do and, you know, kind of figure out what the maximum is because ultimately you're, you know, in that case, you're probably just trying to bring in some extra income, but you're trying to be there for your kids. And so right. f- figure that out, out up front, that that's what your goal is. Um, and and that kind of leads right into like, what is your why? Why are you doing it? If it is just the money, then eventually it's not going to be enough. You know, so yeah. I think some of these, uh, you know, not to throw MLMs under the bus, but those ones, you know, sometimes it is just about that. I do think there's a lot of people who are really passionate about what they're selling and that's yes, awesome. And yeah. if it's a good product, then sweet. I'm super happy for you. Um, but sometimes I think people get into it just because it seems like a good mm-hmm. way to make money. Or sometimes I've noticed, you know, I have friends that are in, involved with several of them. Yep. And yep. it's just like, wow, you know, that's right. got to be a lot of work. And I think it might be costing you a lot of money. Right. So, I mean, that's a whole different conversation. Yes, yes. But uh, no, I think what's your why is, I mean, with... Even if you're working, you know, full-time right. in the workforce for an employer, yep. you know, what is your why? Because if you can connect that to the work you do, yep. it's not going to feel like work. Right. Right. And it's not going to feel like you're sacrificing time with your kids because it's, you know, you're doing what you need to be fulfilled yeah. so that you can be a better mom. Um, I, I mean, I really, I, I know like both of us would definitely say we were never made to be full-time stay-at-home moms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm yeah. super, I love and, the, the gals that are, but that was just never yeah. me. I knew it would never f- be fulfilling enough. Yeah. Um, and so kind of being 
almost forced to be that, at least sort of, has been a struggle. Um, you know, I think my my mental emotional health has really taken a toll this year. Yeah. So how have you worth. how have you kind of kept that in check? Um, for a while I didn't, and it got kind of bad. Um, I mean, I I started up with a different counselor, and that's helped. Um, but part of it was I just wasn't sleeping well. I mean, mm-hmm. I was in bed, but it wasn't getting restful sleep. And it just, I'm telling you, like, if you can't get that under control, like, everything just really spirals out of control. Most definitely. Um, so I finally found, uh, I, she's a neuropsychologist who specializes in insomnia. Um, and it's super funny now that I'm, like, about a month into it. Uh, her solution was to look at, you know, sleep logs, say, okay, when are you going to bed? How long are you tossing and turning? Blah, blah, blah. And saying, okay, it looks like you're getting maybe six hours of sleep. You can only be in bed for six hours and let's see how that goes. So pushing your bedtime back and getting up at a specific time. And at first, like the first time she suggested it, I like, was just hysterical in her office. I'm like, I can't go to bed at 1.30. That's insane. I'm not going to get enough sleep. I, you know, right now you go to bed at like 9.30 because you're so stressed about getting but, enough but sleep. But was her point that you're not sleeping. Exactly. When exactly. You're, you're just laying there. Yes. And-, and and she said, you know, you have to think about, your, you need to train your body that being in bed is for sleep, not for tossing and turning, not for reading, not for, you know, doing yeah, other it's, things. it's to sleep. sleep. Yeah. And, you know, I think too, those six hours I was getting – were especially the second half of that were not good ones because I'd been up for several hours basically getting more and more anxious about it. Yeah. And so those last few hours were kind of cruddy ones anyway. And mm-hmm. so now that I'm going to bed later, the hours I am getting are actually good and I'm not waking up in the good. middle of the night. And it's, I mean, I, I swear, I think if we had done this back in December, you would be talking to a different person. I mean, that's how much difference just wow. getting to sleep has made. Wow. That's <laughs> but, great. I know. I mean, I'm finally able to think, okay. In a few months when Ellie does go to school, because she is going to first grade, regardless of what that looks like, yeah. <laughs> no more homeschooling. Uh, but I'm like, okay, I think I can finally maybe start to think, what what is the next step? What am I, Very where cool. am I going with my business? Or, you know, what do I want to do? So putting also things into perspective that it might not be realistic to know the answer to that now. Right. But that with time, you will know the answer. And also, I think when I started my own business back in 2012, I had these dreams that I would do it full time and kind of act as a wellness consultant. And then it's funny because the way I found EFR was through my personal business. I was doing a presentation for the Davis Brown law firm and my, my leader, Ketsy was in the crowd and she connected with me on LinkedIn and we had coffee and then it was just kind of like, Oh, and you know, we're actually looking for a full-time wellness manager and it was just kind of perfect timing. I was, interested. And then once I started my role at EFR, I realized that I didn't have as much passion for running my own business. Yep. Uh, and, you know, it was just, it was good because the why had changed. Yep. And and also I think, and I don't know if you found this to be true, but a lot has changed in social media from 2012 when yes. I opened my business to, to 2021. Yes. And it's kind of a pay to play, or it is a pay to play. It is, yeah. It, and I just, icky. I don't really, it's not me. It's not yep. something that I want to invest a lot of emotional energy into, nope. to be honest. Yep. And so, you know, I'm, I finally just kind of let, let go of some of my fitness certifications and just decided that, you know, it's okay. Like your identity can shift and change. Yep. You don't always have to be, you know, the person doing taxes, right? right? Because if that's not, motivating you or driving you, you can 
you know, say goodbye right. and, and walk, walk forward. And yep. so that, that was a big lesson for me in my own experience with a business was that it's okay if your dream changes. Right. It's okay if, you know, your life changes yep. and it's no longer a good fit. Yep. So, you know, for some people, they know exactly what they want and, and it that's what they want for, right. forever, you right. know, and other people, it changes. So yep. I think that's good. I also like the, you brought up, you know, addressing your sleep yeah, and that you, I'm guessing talk therapy, is it, is that a different yep. therapist than the neuro? Yeah, it actually is. Yeah, it's funny. Okay. She's always like, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> You're a neuropsychologist? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I have, you know, a uh, talk therapist that I go to. Uh, I, I, like I said, I switched uh, ones uh, right about when the pandemic hit, actually. And it was kind of funny because, I mean, I was in the process of doing that and then everything really went weird. Um, but I just, I knew I needed a, cha- a change. Um, and, you know, it's been good. I, I think sometimes what I've realized is that, like, I can talk about anything for, for a long time, I'm not always good about the follow through. Um, yeah. And so I think mm-hmm. it's worth it. I think it's something that I need, but it's also not the solution to all of my problems. Right, right. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have a therapist that I see regularly as well. And um, yeah, sometimes I just, you know, it's great to talk, but I, what is my what is my assignment? Yes. You know, I need, I need a takeaway from yes. this. And so, so that, it always helps me when I kind of know, okay, so this is what we talked about and what should I do as a result of right. this conversation? So I, right. I like that you're transparent about every aspect of your life and especially that one because it is it is hard, you yeah. know, to to be living through a pandemic. It's hard to be a mom. It's hard yeah. to be a dad. It's hard to be, um, you know, a business owner. Yeah. It's just hard to be a person sometimes. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, to reach out and say, hey, you know, I'm not sleeping well or right. – I can't seem to find the motivation to exercise. Yep. Um, I even went, which is bizarre because I'm someone who loves exercise. Right. I've, in some in some ways, I think I've become the person I used to coach. You know, <laughs> I've become the person who is too tired by yes. eight o'clock at night to you know roll out the yoga mat and and turn on YouTube and find yep. something to do. Yep. Uh, because I'm human. Right. You know. Right. And so it's just again, life changes, things change. Um, this was such an interesting conversation. I I do want to share a little bit about our culture audit, just so you yeah. can have an opportunity to talk a little bit about your role in that. So Definitely. at EFR, we developed a culture audit for our clients to kind of assess what you know what is the current culture of well being in our organization. So at EFR, we look across eight different dimensions of well being. So you know it's the physical, emotional, social, intellectual, environmental occupational, financial, and I've already lost track. What did I not say? Did I say, well, there's eight dimensions. (laughs) Leave it to the wellness manager to not come up with all I think was one of them we maybe didn't really have in the culture audit. I don't remember. No, we've got all eight in there. We've got all eight in there. But anyway, um, all eight are in the culture audit and (laughs) also on our website, www.efr.org. And you can – Check that out. But we we created this it like I said, it started as a survey, but Stephanie was able to make it a tool, an assessment tool. And it basically, you know, takes the responses from employees of an organization and the responses of leadership in an organization. And it just says, okay, so employees are saying that they feel comfortable using their EAP benefits, or employees are saying that they're not comfortable using their EAP benefits, and the leaders are saying that they are comfortable. You know, so 
oftentimes the, the biggest one we find is employees typically report there's not a high level of communication in the organization and leadership typically reports there is. And so it's, it's a great tool because you can score the employee section, you can score the leadership section, and you can see, you know, how closely aligned they are. And then you can say, okay, based on this culture audit, these are our recommendations to enhance a culture of well-being in your organization. And so because Stephanie is the brains behind, I mean, honestly, it was just really like, Johanna, what is this question asking? Because there were a lot of questions in in the initial assessment um, or the draft that I shared with you that, you know, you said these questions are redundant or I don't think that the response or the the respondent will understand what you're asking. Um, and every time I take a survey, I think of you. And I think <laughs> right. a lot of organizations could benefit from someone who who understands assessment, right? And who understands if you want to, you know, if you want to get to the bottom of the situation, or if right. you want to explore this, then these are the questions you need to be asking. Yes. So, talk a little bit about your area of expertise when it comes to assessment yep. and kind of how you develop that scoring component to our culture audit. Yeah, um, I kind of fell into doing uh, assessment, and we, in higher ed, called it institutional research. Um, I, I just knew I wanted to get out of accounting, and this had to do with numbers and Excel spreadsheets. So, <laughs> and like, bless you, right? Right. <laughs> um, so I kind of fell into it um, a couple, couple lifetimes ago back in uh, Dubuque. I worked at the University of Dubuque doing that um, and then transitioned to, to Drake um, doing mostly, mostly just the assessment, but worked a lot with the institutional research coordinator, too. Um, but a lot of what we do is we, you know, look at how a question is worded. And so to make sure it's not leading, because then you're going to skew your results. Right. Um, but and also to kind of give them the right options. So sometimes it's, you know, maybe you're not leading it, but the response options are leading because it's only yes or no. Well, there could be another option. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, sometimes the question doesn't apply. So you need to make sure that they have that option to yeah. select it. So they're not just selecting a question or a response at right. random. Um, so we look through some of that um, and and really looking at like, what is the end of this going to look like? So how are the results going to look and how can we analyze those in the most efficient way possible? Um, I still remember one of the projects I worked on at Drake, the, um, the office had already designed this, the survey, didn't consult us at all did the survey, got it out to faculty, then came to us to help analyze the results. And we were like, well, um, you made the results like really cumbersome to analyze. Whereas if they had come to us from the very beginning yeah. to design a survey that asked questions in the right way, the analysis would have been much easier and much right. more conclusive. Um, and so instead we spent you know hours and hours and hours having to read through open-ended responses, but yeah. from faculty members, which are never very short. <laughs> And, and probably so, very interesting, yes, but yes. also hard to dissect and hard oh to say, goodness. okay, these are the findings. Yes. And, you know, I just basically was, you know, got to self-teach myself how to analyze qualitative data where you look yeah. for key you know, I subjects. do love qualitative data, though. Yes. But analyzing it is a lot harder. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you get a lot of, you know, it was great. You can get pulled quotes and, and really get a feel for things. So I'm not trying to say it's not worth it, but, you know, you had to have a balance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, if you're trying to get, like, in the culture audit uh, situation, you know, they wanted to kind of come down to a score. So it's not that the people's opinions and stuff weren't valuable, but ultimately you guys wanted to be able to We wanted compare. to look at a score, compare yeah. scores between you know, employees are saying this, leadership is saying this, and year over year, the score is changing in this direction. Yep, yep exactly. And what I liked about this project um, for EFR was that 
I mean, there's probably some expensive software tool out there that maybe does this easier, but we were working with what we had. Yeah. And it was, it's a good so- survey uh, platform. Did you see they changed the name of it? Yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> which, I mean, it's a, it's a good one. We, so we, we used SurveyGizmo, yeah. now they're Alchemer. Yes, which, whatever. But, but yes. Um, you know, and so we were like, this is the tool we have. How can we make it do what we want exactly uh, without having to upgrade to their really expensive platform yeah. <laughs> so you know I, I was like well here's here's what we know the results look like how can we utilize the results in an easy way to get this score and so I just designed basically just use Excel because I love Excel and had it build off of what we could get and had Excel do the work to then come up with the score. Yeah. And and I've done this for a couple other clients. Like I said, this has always been my, my ultimate favorite project, but I've had a few that have been a little similar. Um, and that's always what I build off of is, okay, what tools do we have at our disposal that doesn't require us spending another yeah. several thousand dollars? How could we use this in a way that is simple for somebody like Johanna to do without having to yeah. contact me to run it every time. Um, so I'm always trying to find a way, how can we copy and paste it into a template right. that then does all the formulas and all the work for for the client. Um, I had another one I did that for, it was kind of complicated where they have their students take a before and after survey and it's, it's actually a wellness thing too. So they have them do like before push-ups and then like at the end, how many push-ups can they do and stuff like that. And then they're trying to bring the demographic data for the students into that so they can say, you know, we had this many of this race and ethnicity and, and break those things out for grants. Um, and it was a similar thing where I said, okay, well, let's use Google Forms because this is free. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be your survey tool. Mm-hmm. And this is how you need to have the data collected so that at the end of the day, this this massive sp- spreadsheet can, com- can pull in a student across all of these different things you're asking them and give you a synopsis of the overall situation. Right. Um, so I unfortunately haven't heard how it's worked out because of course we did that and then the pandemic hit. Right. <laughs> so I'm hoping they are able to pick that up. I know? do. I mean, I would say that that's one of the things that, I mean, I like working with you because I like you as a person and I, I trust your expertise and knowledge, but I also like that you're all, you're looking out for the client and yes. ultimately the person who's doing the work. You know, you want to give us a solution right. that's not going to be costly. Yes. And it's not going to need us to rely on you for everything, right. you know, right. because that's costly. Yes. And so I appreciate that. How could people connect with you, Stephanie, if yeah. they want to learn more about Well Run Results? Yep. I have a website, wellrunresults.com, that needs updating, um, <laughs> but it's there. And then my email is just stephanie at wellrunresults.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and being transparent about life and motherhood and business ownership. It was great to see you yes. again. No, and thanks for having me. At EFR, we say life happens. We're here to help. Check out our website, www.efr.org, to learn more about our culture audit and make it a great day. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunleavy and produced by Emily Wonkum.